A non-ordinary life requires a non-ordinary approach. Welcome to Sears Edge. My name is Juliette Trinka, and I'm here as your guide in living the full adventure and abundance that you came here to live. During my 20 years of practicing as a shaman, I've helped thousands of leaders to unlock their full potential and actualize their vision. What I know is that ritual, leadership, magic, and wealth are intrinsically woven together. This podcast is a discovery of living the full mystery of who you are while opening to deeper trust in life than you've ever allowed. Learn how you can make your quantum leap with us at getlifemastery.com. Hello, beautiful leaders, and welcome to this exploration of manifestation as healing from trauma. I'm going to share with you today some stories from my own personal experience. These are stories that up until very recently, I hadn't thought about for at least over a decade. This period of time in my life actually now feels like it almost happened to someone else. I'm, I'm that different of a person. But it was a really important moment in my life in that it was the germination of the seeds of the life that I'm living now. So before we dive into this discussion, I just want to outline a couple of things. When I'm talking about manifestation, I am thinking from the level of like the dictionary definition. Manifestation is simply something that wasn't, that is. You are likely listening to this, almost certainly listening to this on a device like an iPhone, a computer, something like that. You're listening through some piece of technology. At some time, that piece of technology did not exist. It did not exist in physical form. Then someone had an idea, someone had a desire, and someone had a desire strong enough that they made a decision that they were going to bring this kind of technology into form. They didn't know what it was going to look like yet or what they were going to call it or how it was going to happen. But they had that desire, they made the decision, and then opened up in an entirely new way to that which was beyond their current level of understanding. So my word for that is surrender. Any person who has brought something into the world that didn't previously exist had to surrender. From that surrender comes inspired action, right? A hunch, a knowing, an intuition. This is the thing I must do. Not a step-by-step -step manual of instructions, but an inspiration to experiment in physical reality. And through that experimentation, there is receiving, receiving of more information that can give you a new inspiration, receiving a result that can give you meaningful feedback on the validity of your experiments, right? So it's actually through this process that I call the wheel of manifestation that something goes from not existing to existing. That's all that manifestation is. Another way that we could talk about manifestation is a radical level of responsibility for oneself and one's life. For me, manifestation is actually the end of codependency because codependency is projecting our power onto something other than ourselves, projecting power onto our past, 
projecting power onto the limitations that we feel, projecting power onto our circumstance and unconsciously deciding or making the agreement that that thing has more power to affect the evolution of our life than we do. So from that perspective of manifestation being the end of codependency, to me, it's obvious that it is a potential source of healing of trauma. And even in healing of trauma, I want to give you one more piece of medicine. I want to place one more piece of medicine on the altar that sits between us. I hold the word healing in this context very lightly because actually what I believe is that all trauma is incomplete initiation. We humans are meant to go through an initiatory process. If you look at indigenous culture, or if you go far back enough in any line of ancestry, you'll see that there were meaningful rituals and ceremonies that ushered people from one phase of life to the next. And in some cases, they literally experienced it as moving them from one identity to the next. That perhaps when you go from being a child to being an adult, you take on a different name. You wear different clothes. You are addressed differently. You live somewhere else and in a different way. So these things are built into our cellular memory. And without them, we do not get the opportunity to become fully human. So lacking meaningful ceremonial containers as we do in our modern way of living, it's not that these initiations don't happen, it's just that they happen outside of a container that can hold them with love and integrity. So I don't want to remove trauma, I want to facilitate it like a fever, right? You can suppress a fever, but that actually just prolongs the illness. So for me as a shaman, I want to facilitate the process that was trying to happen inside of that trauma that came out so sideways and that had so much damage occur and to inquire what was really, really trying to happen inside of that experience. So in that context, I share this story. When I was in my early 20s, I was really inside of this paradigm of finding the one. I had this idea that there was one true love. And when you found that true love, that, you know, you'd live happily ever after. And it's so fascinating to me that even though I lived a pretty typical American life and childhood growing up, my parents didn't have a fairy tale relationship. They had a real relationship. So I'm aware that there's earlier traumas that, that led to this kind of seeking my savior in a partner behavior and belief. But what I actually want to go into is the relationship that I was in as a result of that belief, as a result of believing that the intense feeling for another human being and intense attraction is the love that I was looking for. So in my early 20s, I met a man who was also, he was a little bit older than me. We were both students at the same university and we fell in love. And I want to really claim that even though this relationship ultimately ended up being deeply abusive over the three years that we were together, that there was genuine love. And that made it all the more confusing. I did not have the ability to discern the truth that you can love someone very deeply, they can even love you, and that there can still be 
abuse, that what's happening is indeed abusive, even though there's love present. I'm not going to go deep into the details of the abuse. I don't know that that's necessary or even helpful. It does feel important to me to name here for the context of this manifestation as healing discussion that he and I were together over three years. For a significant chunk of those three years, we were somewhat isolated. We had moved away from the city in which we met and we were living in the mountains of Colorado where we did not know anyone. I had to drive 45 minutes away to get to work. He was working from home. So that isolation kind of um, intensified everything that was going on. And over the course of those three years, in any category that abuse can take place, abuse did take place. I experienced the full spectrum of those things. Coming out of that relationship, I was incredibly broken. I was barely 22 years old. It never occurred to me that what I was experiencing was something that I could ask for help for. What I know now, as I look back, is that for about a year and a half, I was having a lot of symptoms that I would recognize now as PTSD. The, the psychological and emotional abuse were particularly intense. And so I would find that I'd be at work just doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I would just start breaking down in tears, unable to really function properly in my environment. So this got really, really intense for me. And I knew that something was wrong. <laughs> like I, I, I understood this to not be my normal experience. Although from being inside of this relationship where there was a lot of manipulation and distortion of reality in many ways, it was very hard for me to discern what was going on. I only knew that it needed to stop. And I want to mention that because it's an experience that we all have. We all come to these moments where a knowing inside of us emerges. I knew that this needed to stop, just like I'll give a, a shout out to Hummingbird here. It took me a long time to leave that relationship because I actually believed that I was the source of my partners. He actually had a lot of undiagnosed mental illness and trauma of his own, but I thought I was the source of it at that time. And I thought that if I left, that something very bad would happen. Maybe he would even die. So there was a period of time where I was wishing, hoping, praying for a sign. Just show me, spirit, what should I do? Should I stay or should I go? The interesting thing is no sign came. And it wasn't until, I'll never forget this moment, it wasn't until I was sitting, um, we lived in this little A-frame, so our deck opened up to the forest. And it was in the springtime, and it was one of the first warm days. And I was sitting there, I was alone in the house, and I had the deck doors open, and I was just sitting there weeping, right? Weeping, because I was so distraught that no sign was coming to me. I felt very alone. And in that moment, I decided to decide. I thought, okay, fine, no signs coming to me. I'm just gonna decide and I'm going to leave. And I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I'm gonna do it. And then right in that moment, a hummingbird, which I had not seen since last autumn, they had migrated. So this was the first hummingbird I had seen in this year. He came up just at eye level, as you know they do, and he just hovered there looking at me and me looking at him. And I just felt like this flush of energy move through my body and then he flew off. This is an important thing to remember. 
that when we are looking for a sign, we are adjacent to our personal authority. The sign comes when you have decided. Do not wait for a sign. Take the risk of making the decision that in truth you already know. You already know what your decision is. Give it to yourself. Then your magical sign appears. So thank you, Hummingbird, for that interruption. So fast forward, all these months have gone by since I left and I was in this very defacilitated place. And again, I had that kind of knowing. I knew that what I was experiencing was not sustainable and it was going to start to have really harmful consequences if I continued. I could lose my job, for instance. That was just one. Not to mention the fact that I wanted to form new relationships that were healthy and beautiful and I felt very closed off from connecting with other people. So again, a moment that I won't forget, I heard these thoughts in my head that were just tearing me apart, you know, really, really decimating me, so judgeful and hurtful. And I just had this other thought. I was like, wait a second, are these thoughts mine? Do I actually believe this about myself? And the answer was no, these are not my thoughts. This is what he's been saying to me for years. And that shifted something. The thoughts still came and I was still having a very strong response to them. But just even the recognition that they were not mine. And now after like decades of spiritual education and practice, I know that no thoughts are actually ours because thoughts are not personal. Even though they often feel deeply personal, they're not personal. They are only as personal as seeds blowing on the wind that come into our view and then leave our view. And when we know that, we have a greater position of leverage to make a conscious loving choice around these thoughts. We don't have to identify with them. In fact, they mean nothing about who we are and what's possible. So knowing that these were his thoughts, <laughs> I was like, okay, how do I get somebody else's thoughts out of my head? Like, how does that actually work? And I was walking around. Again, this is an important thing because this is how manifestation happens. I was walking around with this deeply meaningful question. What does it look like to get these thoughts out of my head? So this was like the energetic pulse that I was sending out into the universe. A book came to me at that time. I honestly don't recall if I found it in a bookstore or if somebody gave it to me, but I do remember that it was a book that I believe was called Emotional Alchemy by Tara Brock. And I read the whole book, I know that, but I only remember one thing from that book because I think it's actually the whole reason why I read the book, even though I didn't know it. She talks about this discovery that we've made through scientific efforts, which is basically that there is a fraction of a second between when a thought happens and when we believe it. And if you can catch that fraction of a second after you think a thought and switch it, that you can change your life. And I got very, very excited about this. It became my full-time effort to watch my thoughts. See, I say my thoughts, but to watch the thoughts that were moving through my mind and to catch them. And the moment that I had a thought that felt like it wasn't mine, a thought that was harming me, a thought that was not loving me, I flicked it. I would say no internally, sometimes even externally, and replace it with a different thought. This wasn't easy. I really believed, I was so far into believing the things that this man had put into me through 
these abusive behaviors, but it kind of felt like I had <laughs> no other option because I was unwilling to live as a shattered human being. I knew that that's not why I came here. It's not what my life was about. So through that experience, I actually began to see shift. Synchronicities began to occur. I began to feel more open to the people around me. I started new friendships. I reconnected with my, with my family. I had isolated myself greatly from my family during the years that I was with this man. So all of these things started to open up. I, I felt a greater sense of self-love. I felt a greater curiosity about what my purpose might be in this world. And I can tell you that moment of starting that practice was like the moment when you shift a pebble at the source of a stream, that stream that becomes the mighty, mighty river, right? If you go to a river that's a mile long, it's pretty tough to shift the flow of the river when it's a mile wide. But if you go to the source of that river where it's a tiny trickle and you move one little pebble, you can shift the entire river. And that's what that moment did for me. So in no way, in no way, <laughs> am I saying that what I experienced inside of that relationship was okay, or that it didn't have an impact, or that it didn't do some damage, it did. And it was also the vehicle for one of the most important transformations in my entire life. So that is how, you know, in this moment, I no longer experienced damage from that relationship. That was healed a long time ago. And I am grateful for that experience because even though it didn't appear so outwardly, it really began to put me on my path, the path that I'm on now. It taught me that manifestation is a form of healing, that manifestation isn't just about self-indulgence. And actually, we could probably all, <laughs> if we approached self-indulgence a little more honestly and consciously, our whole world would be lit up. So. I hope that this is helpful. I hope that this has stirred questions in you about your own experience, about perhaps any trauma, whether it's like a micro trauma or a trauma that feels pretty massive. Is it possible that for you, it's holding the potential of a greater life? And that if you were to seek out the support of someone like me or someone that you know who recognizes the greater scope of trauma, that that life could be yours now. Thank you for listening. Aha. Uh -huh.